I do not have a sermon. I do not have a word. I have a message from the Lord. Those who receive it in faith and act on it are going to see tremendous results, consequences for your faith. The problem is, this is where some of us are going to be going to struggle. This is too simple. Mm. And that's just the way it is in, in being a part of the labors of the Lord. Somebody asked me the other day, why, after the last Thursday night meet, last Thursday night's meeting, why is it that um, there's no requirement uh, for church membership to come on Thursday nights? Anybody notice that? There's no requirement to be to come on Thursday night to be a member of this church. Why? Because my answer was Thursday night is for those in leadership and those that want to be in leadership. And that's got to be something you do as a commitment. You know, and I realize we got people in here that have been in Saved a few months, a couple of years, and people have been saved for decades. And sometimes you come and you've, you hear stuff for the tenth time you've already heard. You know, when a baby is born into a family of twelve, that baby is excited the first time that they eat from their plate. But their older brother, oldest brother or sister, They've been eating from that same plate, that same menu, for as long as they've been alive. They're not this excited about it. But it's still food. And Peter talked about stirring up our pure minds by way of remembrance. So there isn't any of us who cannot be an are not benefited by the Word of God. The Word Sunday night wasn't complicated. It wasn't difficult to understand. But the Lord spoke to me in that Word. And I have noticed a significant difference in my life this week. Seriously, I'm serious. And, and that I heard when I, my, my mind and my spirit heard that Word. And it impacted me. And sitting right there, there were things that got adjusted just like that. Because I believed the word, I received the word, I responded to the word. I'm serious. Just that, just like that. The, what's amazing is the, the scripture that he quoted that so impacted me, I've, Taught from I don't know how many times. And I have, <laughs> I, I've written stuff about that verse in, in context of the subject matter it applies to. And yet I don't, I can't tell you why. I don't know why. But Sunday night, the Lord took that verse that I have studied, I have preached and taught from, I have written about, and He turned that thing right around and it just, 
hit me just right. And I needed it. So some of us think, I've heard all that before. You know what that kind of reminds me of? The Israelites in the wilderness. We loathe this manna. Same old manna every day for 40 years. We're missing the leeks and the garlics and the onions that we had in Egypt. You know what? I guarantee you that manna didn't give you bad breath. But the stuff they were missing does. I, I'm just saying. I, I don't know why that is. I'm not making some point out other than just to make note of it. Then they wanted quail. Well, I, I don't know if I've ever eaten quail. I eat a lot of chicken, but not quail. Um, when we first came to town, there was a guy came into church and he, he raised rabbits and he raised rabbits to sell for food. Not bunny rabbits, rabbits killed, skinned. And he gave us one, told my wife how to cook it. I got, I, I put one bite in my mouth and that was as far as I went. And all these guys that are big time hunters, God bless you. One, that's wonderful for you. I'm not criticizing it, but really, you know, well, if you don't like wild game, you just don't, haven't had it from somebody that knows how to cook it. I'm glad you have somebody that knows how to cook it. You like it. I'll take hamburger. But don't you know all the stuff they put in these animals nowadays? I got to get my nourishment from someplace. Woo, some of you didn't like that, did you? Well, it's chemicals. Yeah, what, you know, Scripture says it's not what you put in your mouth that defiles the body, it's what comes out of your mouth. Now, I got Bible for that. How you doing on yours? How about every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving? So if you pray now and lay me down to sleep, I mean, God is great, God is good, and I just thank you for our food, in that same tone of voice and attitude, then maybe your food's bad for you. But if I'm giving thanks in faith that what I'm eating is sanctified. So if you're in the wilderness and you're dying of hunger, and there's a non-organic cow there, you're going to starve to death because somebody might have put some chemicals in that. You know what? The scripture says, let's don't argue about it. I'm not arguing. You do what you want, fine. I don't care. You know, pay three times the price for something so you can pretend it's healthier. That's your business. <laughs> no big deal to me. The book says some eat meat offered to idols and some eat, some say, some don't eat meat offered to idols and others just say it's just meat. Some people don't eat things because it wasn't raised a certain way and fed on certain stuff. And others of us just say, just me. Give me a break. I'm not going to argue with you, honestly. I'm not arguing with you. God bless you. I do have the mic, so we're not arguing. Hallelujah. I don't know how I got off on that, but 
I got good news for you. I don't think this is going to get heavy. I don't feel that. So I'm not setting you up to blindside you, okay? Um, Praise God. I'm going to start here. Genesis 8, 21, 22. I'm just going to start here. I'll probably come back to this, but I'm going to use it as a starting point. This is, these verses were spoken, Genesis 8, 21. The Lord spoke these things after Noah came out of the ark, and he's giving instructions over what his promises are to the, to the people that survived the flood and had faith and built the ark and lived through all of that. And, and he's giving direction for the rest of man's time here on the earth because the scripture says that nothing is going to happen to destroy the world again until it's destroyed by fire. And the word destroy doesn't mean that the earth's going to blow up. But man living on the earth wasn't destroyed by flood. But men living on it that weren't in the ark were destroyed by the flood. Likewise, the earth's not going to be destroyed by fire, but those who are not uh, under the covering of the blood of Jesus are going to be uh, destroyed by the fire. So here, here's God's promise. Uh, Abraham, or excuse me, Noah uh, offered a sacrifice, and the scripture says, Genesis 8, 21, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. You may be seated. Verse 22 again, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night, shall not cease. While the earth remaineth. I know the scripture talks about a new heaven, a new earth. This, this heaven and this earth is not going to cease to be. There is going to be a time when God is going to purge it and cleanse it and cleanse the atmosphere and all of that again, uh, in preparation for his eternal kingdom after the millennial reign of Christ. After the great white throne judgment. But until that time, no matter what all the doomsayers say, no matter what all the fear mongers say, here's what God says. As while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest are always going to be. Cold and heat are always going to be. You're going to go through periods where it may be a little colder than warmer and other periods where it may be warmer than colder. But when it's all balanced out, this word is going to be true. Summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. 
That's pretty, those are pretty profound things here. But I want you to notice something carefully. Of all of those, there's only one set of things being compared that we're supposed to be actively involved in them. I survive the cold and survive the heat, but I don't do anything because of them. I survive the summer and I survive the winter, but I, I don't do anything to affect them or specifically because of them. Day and night, you know, each day I respond to the day and each day I respond to the night, but there isn't, there isn't something that's expected of me. Because of them. But the Lord started with this. While the earth remained. Seed time. And harvest. Are going to remain. What does that mean? That means when it's seed time. I'm not supposed to be. Trying to reap. When it's seed time. I'm supposed to be sowing. And when it's harvest time, I'm not supposed to be sowing. I'm supposed to be reaping. Because you sow in seed time, you reap in harvest time. And we Pentecostals, apostolics, believe in and have been benefited by what the scripture calls the early and the latter rain. Speaking of spiritual, uh, Spiritually impacting events, occurrences. But that's taken from the, the harvest cycle for the grain from Bible lands. And very briefly, the harvest cycle is the land has lain fallow, unused, untouched after the harvest. Through the heat of the summer and into the fall. It bakes. There's no rain of any consequence upon it, so it gets very hard. Even today, the most, the most, uh, except for the very most, uh, expensive and advanced plows, you can't plow concrete. Okay? And this ground, Became like concrete. And so in late October, November, into early December, there would be what's called the early rains. They were very gentle, steady rains. Because if, if they were hard rains, they would run right off that hard ground and wouldn't soak in. But a very consistent, steady, gentle rain doesn't run off because it doesn't accumulate rapidly. So it soaks down in the ground and softens the ground. And, of course, rain is always likened unto the blessings of God. And so this 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 gentle rain that comes to to just the goodness of God, just the kindness of God, just soaks in and begins to soften the heart as we begin to honestly observe what's going on in our lives and recognize that uh, God is good. He really is good. 
The ground is softened so it can be plowed. The plowing is what the man of God does. In our culture today, in the culture, the religious culture of Christendom, of churchianity, we're looking for preachers that pat us on the back and burp us and change our diapers and preach to us, I'm okay, you're okay, and there's no such thing as sin, and don't worry about hell, it's all, that's, that's all, that, that was just scare tactics, it's all okay. And all that preaching does is leave hard ground hard. Because there comes a point where the man of God has got to preach things, where the plow is set deep into that hard soil. And in the parable of the sower, the soil was the, the heart. And the Word of God plows that ground up and breaks it up so that the seed that will be sown on it can fall down into cracks and crevices. Why? Because first of all, it won't germinate while it's on the surface. Second of all, if it stays on the on, on hard ground, which is like the wayside ground, or the wayside ground is actually pathway ground. Every field had paths they walked through, and they they, they, they duplicated if they were traversing the field they didn't just walk through the areas that's plowed or where you expect them to grow. They had pathways. And all of those feet walking on it made them very hard. And when the sower's sowing, the, some seed falls on that wayside or that pathway ground. And because it's just laying there, what happens to it? The birds of the air come and consume it. And so if we sow seed upon it, an unbroken heart, You know what? I, I I was telling somebody just recently about this. Uh, when I was at the academy and I was trying to, I was talking to guys about the Lord and whatever. I, I wanted to I wanted to win the guys that were the ones with influence. And the first guy I baptized, he was so far down the totem pole. The only real impact of that was it affected my faith and affected him. Because you know what I learned from the very beginning? The kind of people that most people try to win are the ones you cannot possibly win unless their wives, lives, wives and lives are going through turmoil. Unless their life has been turned upside down by events. You can't win them. This church was built initially on knocking on doors and bringing kids to church out of the projects. Why? That's nothing. There was no negative attitude. We were just trying to reach the people that were willing to be reached. And one thing you learn if you haven't learned, you need to learn it. The same blood that was shed for the up and outer saved for the was shed for the down and outer. And the Lord doesn't value one more than the other. And a soul is a soul is a soul is a soul. And it doesn't matter what color they are or what their educational background is or, you know. And so we knocked doors and brought kids to church. And over a period of a few months, 
when going by every Saturday, just check to see if the children were coming this Sunday. We'd begin to talk to the parents. And the kids would come to church because we loved them. We weren't just babysitting. We loved them, taught them. They'd go home and tell their parents, or parent in many cases, how much they loved it. Guess what? That's how we got our first adults to come. Because we were trying to reach people who needed to be saved and knew they needed to be saved. Not the ones that had no clue they needed to be saved. And some of you sitting here are really, really, really discouraged because you're not winning anybody and that's because you're trying to reach the the up and out. It was said many years ago that if we'll reach the people nobody wants, God will give us the people everybody wants. That's not the motive. You're reaching people that God wants. Talk about society, not God. He wants everybody. Fruit is fruit. You know, my wife, I like grapes, and so she'll buy grapes. And some days, she brings home grapes that are about that big. Another, it, 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 she brought some, bought some green ones and some red ones today that I have some, something to snack on the first hour the snow is falling. <laughs> and the green ones are about that big and the red ones are about that big. Well, guess what? Nobody threw those little red ones away because they weren't as big as the green ones. Hello? You see, fruit is fruit. And no fruit and fruit are the two issues here. And so the ground's broken up. And then comes the sower, sowing the seed. And it's called broadcasting. You see, we're so involved with invitation evangelism. Let's see. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon me, upon you, and you shall be spiritual lawyers convincing the world of the truth. Uh uh. What are you? What are we? I don't care how long you've been saved. When you stop being a witness, a witness gives their testimony of what they've seen, what they've heard, what happened to them. You know what? I don't care who you are being tried before this jury. You can't say, well, this person can't witness against me. Because I've got a doctorate degree and they didn't even finish elementary school. You can't believe them over me. But guess what? That person gets on the stand and they tell what they saw and they tell what they heard, what they experienced, and that becomes evidence that a person can be put away for for a long time. Regardless of how sophisticated the one giving the witness is. Why? Because they're not telling what they think or what they've learned. They're telling what they experienced. But there's a bunch of us. We're just sitting around just shaking our heads. Well, I just can't do that because 
I don't know the Bible good enough. Please understand the context when I'm saying that there are some that know the Bible too good. Because you can't witness. You got to preach. Woo, let that sink in a little bit. I said, you can't witness. You got to preach. You know the Bible too good. You can't tell somebody what you experienced. You can't give evidence. You got to try to play spiritual lawyer. So, it's called broadcasting a seed, literally. It's called not radio, TV, broadcasting a seed, which means you sow it wherever you can sow it, however you can sow it. Listen, listen to what the scripture says in, in Ecclesiastes 11. Cast thy bread upon the waters. Ecclesiastes 11, 1. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. What does that mean? Let's see. I'm going to make this method work. I don't care if the whole world goes to hell. I'm going to make this method work. Really? Really? When the book says, use a multiple, a, 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 a number of methods, because you don't know which one's going to work today. Give a portion to seven also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. You, you don't know which one's going to work today. You can't, you can't just say, well, I'm gifted to do this, and this is all I'm going to do. Really? You know, when our care groups have been at their best, the, the biggest evangelistic effort we've ever had in care groups, our biggest crowds, was when we had fellowships. Not when the fourth person of the Trinity came to teach in the care group. But when we were eating together, hey, there were some people that were responsible for the crowd who never invited anybody. They just cooked. That was their sowing their, that, that was their effort because you can't invite somebody to a fellowship if there's not going to be food and somebody's got to do that. You don't want to come to a fellowship where I cook. I can make peanut butter and jelly. I eat them. They're good. I can make that. Not very many people want to live off that. I am blessed to be married to a wife who insists I eat something other than sandwiches. You think this is an exaggeration? Ask her. I really could live off sandwiches every day. Why? It's fast. It's quick. It's easy. In a few minutes, I get full. And that's all that matters. I'm not hungry anymore. Okay, let's get up and get something done here because when she has slaved away in the kitchen for an hour and a half after being married for 47 years, I have learned eat as fast as you want, right, if that's what you want to do. 
but you're going to sit at the table till she's through eating because you're smarter now that you're older. You didn't let her spend all that time eating and you sit down and wolf down your food and get up and leave her sitting there eating by herself. And the food isn't finished cooking because it's stewing inside of her because you got up and left the table. So, honestly... You know how much guilt it lifts off me if she spends five minutes making sandwiches? I eat those sandwiches in five minutes, and if I get up and go, I don't feel bad about that. Going back to the point again, please. The point is, if you're frustrated because God's not using you, then you're trying to tell him what to do through you. I don't believe knocking on doors works. You know what? I can guarantee, I guarantee you that's the truth. Cause if you don't knock on them, it won't work. That is absolutely, that is, I can guarantee you that's an absolute statement. It is absolutely the truth that knocking on doors won't work if you don't knock on them. Period. Let's just do a little test. How many of you are sitting here tonight are the direct result of somebody you didn't know knocking on your door at any whatever age it was and invite you to church? There's more than that. Well, look at it. Come on now. Bus ministry, whatever. Right. Here's some folks at work. Well, it doesn't work. Let's let them go to hell. Hello? Let's all be blind. It didn't work. Nobody raised their hands. It didn't work. So give a little, give a portion of seven and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And a tree fall toward the south or toward the north. And the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what it, what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whither shall prosper. Either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. Let me get to the word and I'm going to go back to what I was preaching here. Second Chronicles chapter 15 verse 1. And somebody here tonight, I, I hope it's a lot of people, but somebody here tonight is going to hear a word from God to your heart. And you're going to seize it and say, I believe that, God. And I'm going to enter into covenant with you. I'm going to do my part because you promised you're going to do your part. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa, the king. 
and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. For the Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season Israel hath been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times there was no peace to him that went out, nor to him that came in. But great vexations were upon all the city, all all the inhabitants of the countries. And nation was destroyed of nation and city of city. For God did vex them with all adversity. Be ye strong, therefore. And let not your hands be weak, or the Hebrew says slack, or unactive, uninvolved. For your work shall be rewarded. That's the promise of God right now to this church. How how many of you would pat a farmer on the back? Who didn't sow, didn't break up the ground, didn't sow one seed. And then it rains on that field and no harvest comes up. How many of you say, oh, well, you did your best. Is there anybody here that would expect a field to produce a crop that no work had been done sowing seed in? Anybody? Then I want to ask you this question. How do you think you can just pray and not sow seed and expect a harvest? Brother, I remember, I remember hearing Brother Morgan say it. Boy, this church knows how to pray. It knows how to war. It knows how to succeed. Then my question for you is this. Why aren't we seeing results? Pastor came to me a couple of, about a month ago. He said, uh, I gathered these statistics and I just wanted you to see this. I said, okay. And there was some discrepancy in the numbers. One of the numbers said that we had in, on Sunday morning ministries, we had 721 last year, first time visitors, and we had 120 or so received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But then, there was some question about some of the numbers, so they reduced it down to like 576 first-time visitors and 81 to receive the Holy Ghost. I said, how do you feel about that? He said, I'm disturbed about it. I said, rightfully so. Do you, know, do you want to know what's wrong? Well, I, don't, I think we're not doing this and this. But hey. Those are, that's very valid, but let me tell you, it's more basic than that. After you've prayed and fasted and sown some seed and sinners come sit in church, and then, dear brother, Sunday morning pastor, a visitor or two or three or five comes sits in the service and you preach to the saints, People are not going to get the Holy Ghost. Well, 
Well, when am I going to pastor these people? You know what? We work on all that. But your job on Sunday morning is, if there's a hundred people sitting there and one soul, it is not your job to preach to saints on Sunday morning if there's sinners present. I've said this to Brother Morgan. I've said this to Pastor David Wright. I've said this to several different people. You can preach to this church to have faith about what God's doing all you want. But the problem we've got is this. Everybody that's going to believe without seeing already believes. And the ones that have to believe, see before they believe, you can't preach a good enough message to get them to believe without seeing. So if you want them on board, you got to stop trying to get them to believe without seeing and start praying some people through that they can see it's happening. I looked at the pastor and I said, you know, I realize you're the pastor. But when, when we all get serious about the fact that when sinners are present or backsliders are present, we're going to love them and preach to them to get them saved. Then we're going to convince everybody we mean what we say about that 500. You can't have 500 get the Holy Ghost if you're not willing to preach to a sinner that somebody worked to get there. You can't do it. And so people, people that are willing to believe without seeing, their faith's up, they're expecting stuff, and then nothing ever happens, and nothing ever happens, and nothing ever happens, because it is so inherent in the heart of a shepherd, a man of God, to want everybody, to want everybody on board. We want everybody on board. We don't want to leave anybody behind. We don't want to leave anybody out. So we get so caught up in that sometimes that we focus on getting everybody on board. Everybody on board. And then we end up with nobody on board. Because the ones that were with us and believing with us, they end up in despair. Because what they've been believing happened never happens. It never happens. The word of the Lord is, if you go back to that verse, Second Chronicles 15, 7, your work shall be rewarded. God's not going to bless a field with a crop where nobody's sowing any seed. It's not enough to just pray. It's not enough just to witness. If I want to see stuff happen, I got to do both. Rain falling on seed that's not in the ground, or rain falling on ground there's no seed in it, it's just wet ground. It's wet ground. You know why the campus ministry has been one of the most fruitful ministries in this church for years now because the campus ministry first and foremost focuses on reaching 
the lost. Uh, get this now. What about us saints? When's anybody going to give us any attention? I wish I'd have thought of it in advance. I could have worn a diaper in here. See what you thought about that. You know, I often think, Sister Lenny Camp, your family was a great inspiration for me. You know why? Because you had 12 kids. Those oldest ones, they got your attention. But when you got to six, those two or three youngest ones, who took care of them mostly? Not the parents. The older kids did. And when you had nine, the older six taking care of those younger three. When you have nine, the, uh, when you have twelve, the older nine is taking care of those younger three. Child four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve was raised more by the brothers and sisters than they were by mom and dad. Now, if you want your 2.5 kids so that your kids can get all of mom and dad's attention along with Fluffy, so be it. Now, this ain't Sunday morning, this ain't Sunday night. Okay? It's what this is not. Are we there for you? Absolutely as much as possible. Leadership of this church, senior ministry of this church is there for you. But if you still got to have your diaper changed, there's something wrong other than the fact you're not getting enough attention. I don't mean, I'm not trying to be unkind here. I'm not trying to give anybody a hard time because this is a general malaise that is in this church right now. What about me? Not one or two like that. A whole bunch of folks like that. I tell you what about you. I had a blessing that I got the Holy Ghost in a church that the young people were the ones that worked in the altar. Of the seven churches I attended from the time I was 18 and younger, only one church was like that. And I've never been to another church like that in my life. Where the adults sat back at all the time, let the kids work the altar. It was a tremendous blessing for me. Because I got the Holy Ghost on one Sunday night, and the next Sunday night, I'm an altar worker. The next Sunday night, I'm, I'm gravitating toward those young people I know know what they're doing. And I listen to what they're saying, and I hear how they're praying, and, 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 I, and I'm listening to this, and, and I'm praying for people too. And I'm, you know, I, it wasn't good enough to get the Holy Ghost now. I want to, I want to be used to pray for somebody through. And those first couple of times somebody got the Holy Ghost, I was the primary person praying for them. Buddy, that changed my life. You know why? Because I learned something most of you have never learned. Receiving the Holy Ghost was awesome. But when I had my hands hands on somebody that received the Holy Ghost, I got it better the second time than I did the first time. You hear me? You sit back and watch all you want. And your relationship with the Spirit stays stale. But you get, you don't have to be the primary person 
talking to that person. But let me tell you something. <laughs> if, if, okay, somebody knows what they're doing, is praying for them, fine. But if I was you, I'd just kind of stand around with my hand on it. And then I'd say, okay, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this? And think about that. Feel that. And you know what? You don't have to have somebody tell you when they get the Holy Ghost. Because you can feel it when it happens. Because it happens to you all over again. And the folks that it's, you know, who's taking care of me? (laughs) We were... Oh, it was tough. It was only two of us, you know. And we knocked doors. Invited people to church, had church. You know how hard it is to deny you're preaching at your wife when she's the only one sitting there? We had to have people come to church just to save our marriage. Because it's kind of personal when you're firing away and there's nobody listening but her. That's painful, you know. So, more people came, more people came. And uh, finally, well, we had a breakthrough. We got up to 35. We're running 30, 35 every week. Boy, that, you know how awesome that is when you had nobody? And you went weeks and months with nobody? Occasional visitor, you get a visitor to come to church and they find out they're number three in the congregation. You, your wife, and them. You know how hard it is to deny you're preaching right at them? Because they know you're preaching about salvation, heaven, and hell. They're pretty sure you're not talking to your wife. So that's pretty, that, see, I thought that would solve the problem. It only switched the problem from one person to another. So you know how awesome it was when there was enough people to come, I could have some deniability. Thirty-five, boy, it was awesome. We we clocked along there at thirty-five for about nine months, a year or so. It was really, it was awesome. I mean, people, and we just spent so much time with them because we were so happy to have people. Well, I didn't come here to pass the thirty-five. Came here to reach the lost. So we began to pray and fast and knock on doors some more and witness, and people started coming. We had a breakthrough. We started running 55 and 60. Guess what? Three of those families from that original 35 left. You know why? They said, because the church is getting too big. What did they really mean? You two don't have time for us anymore like you had before. Now you're giving it to somebody else. I was so shocked. I couldn't believe it. You see, I thought... I thought they were listening when I preached, and apparently they weren't. I thought they were understanding. We're trying to reach the lost. We don't want anybody to go to hell. I thought all that, but I found out that there were some people that we prayed through that just needed, they, they, you know, they didn't want to be on a team. They wanted to be the object team. And you know what? I don't want anybody to be lost. And what, you know, all things to all men that by all means you might save some. And so, uh, you, you know, I, I'm not willing to let anybody go, and I'm willing to do whatever's necessary 
to, to do everything I can to help somebody stay safe. But folks, somewhere along the line here, there's got to be a transition from takers to givers. There's got to be, I'm, this is Thursday night. This is leadership and people that ought to be in leadership and people that want to be in leadership. There's got to be a transition. Everybody needs somebody sometime. Everybody does. Everybody does. I'm not faulting, I'm not saying that, that if you do whatever, you're never going to need anybody. All of us need somebody. I'm not saying that. But when, to grow and mature in God, something's got to happen where you find your joy and peace in giving and not getting. Your labor shall be rewarded. Your labor shall be rewarded. Seed time and harvest. Of all of those things the Lord promised in in Genesis 8, the only two things, the only cycle that requires man's involvement for them to be fulfilled is seed time and harvest. Otherwise, there's just an opportunity for seed time. There's just an opportunity for harvest but if we haven't participated, we will say like uh, was it Jeremiah eight twenty just came to me. I don't remember the last time I've used this verse. Let's see what my memory's like here. We all know that my memory will go completely kaput in a month, so I'm going to enjoy not being seventy, so that I can still remember stuff. Yeah, Jeremiah 8.20. This is what happens when opportunity comes and we don't do anything. The harvest is past. The summer's ended. We're not saved. How many times has somebody used the word time in this pulpit in the last six months? And if you sit back and say, well, if it's time, let's see something happen. You're completely missing the point. Time isn't a certainty. It's an opportunity. As long as the earth remains, there's going to be seed time and harvest. What does that mean? During seed time, if we choose to be involved and do what a sower does in seed time, then seed time is going to be productive. And when it's time to harvest... If we choose to participate in the harvest, then the harvest is going to produce what that opportunity, that season, is able to produce. Seed time and harvest. Seed time and harvest. I, I am not an evangelist by gifting. I'm not. And the longer I've moved away from evangelistic preaching, the more difficult it is for me to do the work of an evangelist because I get so out of that flow. Same thing about not having a burden for it or whatever, but it, 
the truly effective evangelist has a gifting that it's like there's a lot of people in this building right now who have experience and know how to pray with someone to receive the Holy Ghost. But then there's two, three, four. They have a gift of faith for it. And it's not that they're better, not that they are have more faith or more experience. They just have been given a gift of faith for that particular thing. And so when they pray for people, we expect people to get the Holy Ghost when they pray for them. That doesn't mean you and I stop praying for them. I have faith for people who receive the Holy Ghost, but I don't have the gift of faith for people who receive the Holy Ghost. I believe that God can and will use me to pray for people and they'll get the Holy Ghost. But that's not my gifting. So you understand something. Something not being your gifting does not mean that God's not going to expect you to participate in it. Well, why should I be involved in it if, if he's equipped somebody else to do it better? Because all of us are supposed to be involved. You know, there are people that have been to agricultural university, studied all the latest methods. And then there's some, the only thing they know about farming is what their dad taught them and their grandfather taught him. You know what? They both put seeds in the ground and the seeds come up. Those seeds don't know that they've been sown by somebody with an agricultural, a doctorate in agriculture. Because the seed works because of what's in the seed. It just needs somebody to get it in the ground. So I'm asking you, and I'm not doing this to to embarrass anybody, but if the group you're involved with on Sunday morning doesn't have any kind of organized effort to go out and somehow reach the lost and sow the seed, even if it's just broadcasting. Why don't you go to your pastor? Say, Pastor, how come we're not doing anything like that? Well, if he if he decides for us to do that, then I'll I'll participate. Really? So you're gonna leave all of that on him? A lot of guys aren't doing anything because they don't think they can get anybody to cooperate. Again, here we go again. It's, it is a major flaw that every preacher I know has. That if they can't get everybody to do it, there's no use doing it. That's wrong. It's wrong. But it's our flaw. And we need God to help us overcome that. That it is better to have some kind of outreach effort going on, even if two or three or four is all that's involved, than to do nothing. Why? Second Chronicles 15.7 Because your work shall be rewarded. That's why. That's why we do something rather than nothing. That's, wh- that's why we find seven, eight different ways to get the word out. Home Bible studies to your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers or Sowing seed or putting flyers on, not in mailboxes, but on doors or something. Just something. Some way. Some way to do some work in faith. Why? Because the promise is this. He will not forget your work of faith and labor of love. He will not forget it. What does that mean? He won't forget it. That means if you do it, 
he will be honored by it if it's done in faith and out of love for him and for the ones you're trying to reach. If you just do it in faith. Well, what if nothing happens? Hey, let me tell you something. <laughs> Over the years, we had so many times where we'd go knock on a bunch of doors and not one of those people would come. But then we'd show up on Sunday morning and three or four or five would show up that, well, how'd you find out about church? I, I don't know. I was just, just driving by and felt like we ought to go in. He say, well, see there, then we don't need to do all that. He didn't say. That's the point though, you see. He didn't say do nothing because I'm a, no, no. He said your work shall be rewarded. Do something in faith. Do something because you love Jesus. Do something. Invitation evangelism is the least biblical thing we do. If you won't do anything else other than that, do that. Invite somebody to church. But I don't have any flyers to pass out. Anybody ever heard of a computer and a printer? You know how much a ream of paper is these days? Only a few dollars. Well, I can just hear a few of our esteemed leaders. I don't know that I want something shoddy being passed out in the name of this church. Then make something up. And make it available. <laughs> make something that's not shoddy and make it available for people to pass out. <laughs> I know that's rocket science to figure that out. <laughs> but you know what? I don't care what it looks like. If you care enough to put it together and pass it out... I'm not going to be embarrassed by it. I don't know. I don't really remember what my mother's grand, my mother's dad raised other than pigs and cows. I think he had one side field he wrote, raised stuff in. But my grandfather Wright only had livestock for have some milk and had a few pigs he'd take the slaughter for the family to eat because there were 11 of the, 11 kids and uh, of course my mother's family was nine kids but my grandfather uh, right raised crack cash crops and uh, one summer I spent a month there I don't know how old I was I was probably nine or ten. And it was time to pick the cotton. And the family picked the cotton. There was no money to hire anybody else to do it, so cotton had to be picked. And you pick cotton. And uh, I was there, and it was time for the cotton to be picked. And even though I'm not a cotton picker, I was raised in the city. 
it was all hands on deck and I was supposed to be involved. And so I was involved. So I went out to the field. I didn't have overalls like the rest of them did, but I did have some jeans. And, and uh, back then we mostly called them dungarees. And uh, jeans, I always thought that was what made you who you were. But that's not, oh, that's right. It is still jeans that make you who you are. You caught that one, did you? So we went out to the field and he gave me this, uh, he told me how much, he told me how much cotton I'd have to pick by weight and how much I'd get paid. A dollar for every hundred pounds. And he gave me a cotton picker sack. That thing was three times as long as I was. And I had to drag it down the road and pick those little balls of cotton off there and stuff it down in that sack. I, I picked a long, long time before it looked like there was even a lump in that sack. And I guess because I was his poor, citified grandson, he had mercy on me, but I remember he gave me a dollar twenty-eight that day. I know I didn't pick one hundred and twenty-eight pounds. I know I didn't. I don't know how he decided on a hundred dollar twenty-eight. But I'm gonna tell you something right now. I appreciated labor after that day. I appreciated how hard it was to work. And I thought about how difficult it would be to feed a family if you were a migrant cotton picker and you were doing that eight to ten hours a day because you didn't start at nine in the morning and quit at three. You started at daylight, went to dark through the heat of the day. But it was labor. It was honest labor. It was good labor. And there was a reward for the labor really bothers me when people go to a restaurant or someplace and they they leave without tipping the, the person who served the table. If you can't afford to leave a tip, you can't afford to eat in a restaurant. It's okay if you acknowledge you can't afford to eat in a restaurant. But if you can't afford to tip... You can't afford to eat in a restaurant. Well, what makes that? Because my very first job as a teenager was working for tips, bagging groceries in the commissary when I was 13, no, 14 years old. And after a while, you tried to figure out the way a person would tip based on how they looked or acted. Never. It. Never. I mean, you, you bag six, seven, eight gr- bags of groceries and help the, you, you help them out to the car with all that. And the people that drove the really nice cars, they give you a quarter. And the people that wrote, drove the older or the inexpensive cars, they'd give you a dollar. Why? 
because they could more readily appreciate what you were doing and how and they all knew we worked only for tips they knew that the lord says your work shall be rewarded it is really really wrong of us to complain about what's not happening when the Lord looks at us and says, okay, what's happening? Well, I, I don't have, I don't have a job. I don't have a title here. I, 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 what do I do? This isn't about a title. This isn't about a job description. This is about being a part of the kingdom. This is about whatever your hand finds to do, doing it with all your might. And you know something? Sheep are very important. But the Lord demonstrated that when the 99 sheep were safe and one wasn't, the 99 got left alone in the sheepfold while he went looking for one. That's not discounting the value of the 99. That's demonstrating how valuable every one of them is. There's labor. And to be a laborer in the kingdom, I really have to think of somebody other than myself. I do. I have to think of somebody myself. I have to be willing to put the needs of others ahead of myself. That's why we call it labor. We also call it serving. We're not servants. We're children of God. But we serve willingly for those that have not been blessed with what we've been blessed with. We have been made partaker of the divine nature. We have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Paul said that makes us debtors. So he said... There are things I do for you because of all that's been done for me and I'm not worthy of it. And if I don't do it for you, I'm actually showing I don't appreciate like I ought to what's been done for me. Because I'm I'm almost done. Wow. Can, Can you allow yourself to be honest with yourself here just a minute? Could you ask yourself the question, why do I have the right? Why am I so worthy to be sitting here filled with the Holy Ghost, having been baptized in Jesus' name, knowing who the true God is, experiencing the presence of God, hearing word of God after word of God? Why am I worthy to have that and others are not worthy? Not worthy. Even the best things can become cancer if they're only focused inward. And that's what a cancer is. A cancer is a part of the body 
It's not external to the body. But a part of the body that turns against itself. Turns in on itself. Babies need to be taken, spiritual babies need to be taken care of. Everybody needs a friend. Everybody needs somebody to put an arm around their shoulder occasionally. Everybody needs someone occasionally to say, hey, I love you. I'm praying for you. That's not supposed to just come from the preacher. We are our brother's keeper. If you say, well, that's your job. You're being paid to do it. You just made me a hireling, and I reject that. Well, it's your responsibility. It's not our responsibility. First of all, you don't believe the Bible. Second of all, my life and ministry are not for hire. You're not going to make me a prostitute that I'm going to do all that stuff and you have no responsibility. I'm not your hireling. Neither is any other man of God or leader in this church in any degree of involvement they had. They're not your hireling. They're not here to do the body's work for it. We all have responsibilities. We all have an opportunity. We all have a place. We all supposed to be involved. You know, I, we all have a life. Yes, I've got a life. We've all got a life. I'm not talking about spending eight, ten hours a day on the street. I'm talking about just participating with the spirit and sowing seed wherever it is. But, but, it's just one seed. Big deal. Really? Tell that to Jack. That's not really what I was going to say. I just, it just came to me. <laughs> Let me back up there. <laughs> you know how important <laughs> one seed is? <laughs> Messed that up, didn't I? <laughs> one seed will produce one stalk and on that stalk there will be three to five ears of corn and each one of those corns, ears of corn will have between 200 and 400 kernels of corn on it that each, if each one of them was planted they would produce a stalk each one of them would produce a stalk with three to five ears with two to four hundred kernels of corn on it. That's how important one seed is. So if it's just one person, you just, just in passing even, you, you just sow seed. Just, you do some, something in faith. Some kind of labor in faith. He has promised he will reward you. And brethren, those of you that are leading a group or you, those of you that are leading some kind of ministry and you say, I don't know what's going on, but we just can't grow. I just have one question for me, for you. Tell me what kind of labor has been being put in to sow seed. Well, the structure this and the program that and this and that and the other, you, you, all of that has nothing to do with putting the seed in the ground and coming up. All that stuff becomes an excuse to not labor. Becomes an excuse.
You know what? If we want people to preach too bad enough, we'll find a way to get them there. I'm, I'm telling you, I had nobody here to pay the rent. I had nobody here to talk to if they, if I needed them. I had nobody here to help me. There was nobody. I was 24 years old. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Nobody had ever taught me how to do this. Nobody had ever mentored me, but I wanted it bad enough. I did what I had to do to get people in the building so there'd be somebody to preach to they could get saved. You, some of you compare the me now with the me then. <laughs> you don't have a clue. That guy didn't have an idea what he was doing. But I, I could not accept failure as a result. I told somebody recently, some of us have taught a Bible study or two and nothing happened, we, and we, we give up on it. Brother Morell Cornwell has been here many times, been a part of this church, old part of our board of trustees. He's probably the greatest home Bible study teacher in the history of the United Pentecostal Church that I'm personally aware of. He taught Bible studies, three or four or five of them sometime a week, for over two years before the first person even got saved. Why? Except a grain of wheat fall on the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. And sometimes we got to labor, 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 labor. And it feels like failure. And while we're doing it, we're dying. But all of a sudden, there comes a point where we've died enough. Life starts to produce. Father. I have given the word you gave me to give. I have spoken it in faith and as kindly as I know how. I commit this word into you, your hands, and your care. Father, I pray tonight that there are those who have received this word, believed it, and are prepared to let you use them in whatever way they see fit and you see fit to labor to do labor that you can bless and give a harvest for. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the spirit of the laborer into this church in Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the spirit of the harvester into this church. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the spirit of faith to sow and the spirit of faith to water and the spirit of faith to reap that souls might be saved. You have not called us to build a church, Father. You've called us to preach the gospel to every creature. Give us the grace to be obedient in Jesus' name. Give us the grace to be obedient in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want anybody coming down front. I, you just sit there. If you need to go, you're welcome to go. But what I'm asking you to do right now, this there's some business God's trying to do between you and him and your heart to his heart. Those of you that will do it, fine. Those of you that want to look around and do nothing, that's fine too. But the, the Lord's trying to use somebody here. Here is a promise from God that if you will participate in his field, he will participate in blessing and giving you increase. 
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My, 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 my. Itaha, ma, ma, In the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. 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 I, I don't want to embarrass her, honestly, I don't. But, but you know, sometimes people do stuff and they think it's never noticed. You know the number of times I've been places and Sister Brenda Spitzer show up and out there you don't ever see her alone. She's got a kid, two, three, four, five kids, carload of kids, taking them someplace, doing something with them. You say, well, what's happening? Seeds being sown. My responsibility, your responsibility, sow the seed. What happens with that seed is God's responsibility. I'm not trying to embarrass her. Honestly, I'm not. But I've known her for 30 plus years at least. She always wanted to be a mother. She's never had that opportunity. But she's taken an empty place in her. Instead of it becoming an excuse or a place of bitterness, she's turned it around. And God only knows how many lives that have been touched by that. Are our empty places excuses? Or our empty places opportunity for miracles. Come on. Just right now. Come on. Just for a moment here. Are our empty places excuses? Or our empty places opportunities for the Lord to use? Am I looking for an excuse? Or am I looking for God to be able to turn around a negative situation in my life and make it a blessing? Am I going to have faith or am I just looking for an out? Forgive me, Sister Brenda, if that in any way embarrassed you. That was not my motive at all. But honor to whom honors dues. She's not doing this for honor. She's doing that out of love and passion. But it was time for somebody to say something publicly about that. I don't mean, I'm not saying that. I didn't, don't interpret I said that against anybody else. I'm privileged to be the one that said it because I'm the one that's known her the longest and been her pastor the longest. Jesus' name. So, have you got empty places that are excuses? Or you got empty places that are opportunities? Those of you that do are involved with the up and outers. Is there a possibility that God puts you in that place? So that you could be a living witness. So that when God gives you a word to say to them. There's some credibility. 
or so that you can know them well enough to know when that crisis time comes in their life so you can step up and be that voice. If you're ashamed of him, he's going to be ashamed of you. And there's some people sitting in this room right now. God's put you in some really influential places. But what good does it do if you keep your mouth shut when the time is right? When the opportunity is there? We're a body. Everybody has a different place in the body. Everybody's called, given an opportunity to reach different people. I want to be all things to all men that by all means I can win some. But there are some situations I'm in, not in that I don't have that opportunity. Some situations I am where I do. Come on. One more minute. If you needed to go, you were already allowed to go 15 minutes ago. So, or, or given permission to go, excuse me. If you're sitting here, you're feeling what God's doing here right now. And it's time to do this. The best way to stay saved is to help somebody else get saved. If you're only focused on you being saved, that's a good way to be lost. But if you want to be saved, find somebody to help get saved and help them stay saved. And that's how you can stay saved. That's how you can stay saved. Come on. In the name of Jesus, the Lord's trying to do a work here right now. Right now. I, I'm so disturbed by the fact that we think this all is supposed to be done in church and from a pulpit. Not true. And I'm not just talking about the people in the pulpit, but the people that are not in the pulpit, expecting the people in the pulpit, they're the ones supposed to be doing all this. No, everybody has their own role. Everybody has their own opportunity, their own place. And we're all supposed to be doing our part. And all of us are supposed to be doing some kind of labor. Some kind of labor. All of us are supposed to be doing that. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You got any neighbors? Have you ever invited your neighbor to church? When you passed, their, passed them in the hall or passed them on the street, you took your garbage out the same time they did? Hey, friend. Hey, we got something special going on at church this weekend. I just want to let you know. I'd be happy to have you. No pressure. But would love to have you if you ever decide to come. I mean, how hard is that? Praise God. Jesus' name. I'm going to say it one more time. Hear me. This is a word from God to this church. Your work. Be strong. Don't let your hands be slack. Your work shall be rewarded. Let's thank him for that right now. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's. Come on, let's give thanks. If you're gonna clap your hands, clap your hands. If you're gonna raise your hands, raise your hands. If you're gonna open your mouth, open your mouth. But let's give thanks to the Lord right now. In the name of Jesus. God can do something for nothing, but when he's working with his church, the church has, you know, the Lord could have created fish and loaves. But He didn't. He took what the young man had. The Lord could have spoken to empty vessels and put wine in them. But He took pots full of water and turned them into wine. Why? Because He wants us to be involved. Give Him something to bless. Church, give Him Something to bless. Go in peace. Be safe.
Don't be on the roads once it starts snowing unless you absolutely have to. Please, God bless you with wisdom. <laughs> I pray that everybody gets home from work safely tomorrow night and it doesn't snow horribly before you're able to get there. In Jesus' name.